Welcome to episode eight of the Portrait Personas podcast. Hey, Emily, how's it going? Going great. Can't believe it's Sunday, so that's unfortunate, but I'm really looking forward to diving back in to pop art. There we go. So let's scare off the Sunday scaries (laughs) with some art. Uh, (laughs) What post are we featuring today? Today, we are discussing the recreation of Girl with Hair Ribbon, created by Roy Lichtenstein in 1965, which is currently in the collection of the Museum of Contemporary Art in Tokyo. So this one will be a little more difficult to visit, but you never know if you're ever in Tokyo, check it out. Visit some American art in Tokyo. So we already kind of know from the last episode, you're in your wig rotation phase. So this is the Maryland wig, right? This is the Maryland wig. And so yellow wig obviously has limited options, mostly all of them dwell within the realm of pop art. So it was the Yellow Wigs turn and I had already done something with Andy Warhol. So I wanted to go to Lichtenstein and I'll tell a little bit more about him, but between Warhol and Lichtenstein, they are like the household names for pop art. So they were the first two I thought of when I thought of yellow hair. So in this painting, we see a woman very close up with yellow hair and it's girl with hair ribbon. So she has this red, white, and blue ribbon around her hair. And that you get a peak, just a peak of a vivid red background behind her. So it seemed fairly simple to recreate, but I did, I did have a few hurdles as usual. So in the creation process, I get the feeling this is like a recovering from all the prop work you had to do in post seven. What went into this one? Like, did you need to style the wig, the headband? What's, what were the challenges in the build? So obviously compared to my adventures with the violin a week before this was a piece of cake, like I had mentioned with the recreation of Marilyn, I had to turn a long wig into a short wig. So in the picture, she has kind of like a short, shorter length bob kind of style with short bangs. And the wig has these front pieces, but they are about chin length. So I had to figure out how to make the appearance of traditional forehead bangs and also pin the hair so that it looked like it was shoulder length. So I did some elaborate pinning. I pinned the bang pieces back so that they fell across the forehead. And fortunately, that's where the hair ribbon was very useful because I could cover the pinned parts with the headband, which actually was a scarf I had. And even though in the picture I took only shows the blue and the white, it actually is a red, white, and blue scarf that I got from Charming Charlie, back in the day. So I had pinned the wig. I pulled most of it back into a ponytail, actually. Then I just did a lot of like elaborate pinning to just make it seem like it was shorter than it actually was. And I was able to cover all of the pins with the headband that I created from a scarf. And behind me, my usual system of hanging up a red cover-up on the wall with painter's tape. I knew I had to have that great vivid red behind me. This is one I knew would be a little on the easier side since it's so closely cropped. I wouldn't have to worry about an elaborate background. I just had to worry about getting my face positioned correctly. And this was a time where the long arm selfie wasn't as challenging because I just needed to worry about just getting my face right, which actually was one of the more challenging aspects, getting her face right. The benefit of this was direct eye contact. They're looking off into the distance. That's always something I find challenging, but direct eye contact is my friend. And I did fairly simple makeup. The lip color was not exactly right, but 
I did my best and I made my eyebrows black again, which always makes me laugh because it looked fine with a yellow wig, but without the wig on, it just looks so jarring against my regular hair color. So the makeup was pretty easy. The challenge was getting her facial expression, which, you know, she's a cartoon basically, but she still has some complex emotion going on. And I would say she looks distressed and pretty sad. So I tried very hard to get that look. This was also one of those moments, it's funny, I guess it's a pop art thing, having that slightly open mouth where the teeth are showing. So I tried to get that without getting a grimace. So I spent time getting the mouth right. And then I tried to get the sad face, but you know, let's see, May of 2020, what was going on? You know, hadn't seen family or friends for months living alone. I was nursing a heartbreak at the time. So when I had all too much material to like be sad, but it was getting too real and I was getting too sad and I didn't really want to, it would have been like a floodgate situation. So I was like making an executive decision to change the emotion because I I was having trouble being sad without it getting ugly. (laughs) So I decided to do more of a fierce woman scorned, whatever. I don't even know if I had an emotion in mind. I just couldn't get sad. I mean, I could, but it wasn't working for the purpose of a powerful photo. So I did some emotion, which even looking back, I don't even know what. It's not quite what she was articulating, but I think it still makes a statement. And I felt really happy with getting my head tilt correct and getting the kind of composition correct, even though like, I don't know how she must have like an oversized cranium or something, because I look at mine and you can see the red on both corners in mine, but with her, it's only on the one corner and it's just all pure yellow. So she either had like very, very large hair or something. And so I noticed afterward that I had more red than was showing in the original, but Still, overall, I was happy and someone had commented, you should try the dots next time. And so (laughs) that I don't even know if that's within my um, makeup prowess, but there there is a thing. And we'll, we'll talk more about the dots. That's one of his trademarks. So I did leave off the dots, but we don't know too much about what this was meant to say either. But I I can offer some conjecture when we talk a little bit more about his work. I'm trying to remember. So this is uh, what you consider the yellow wig, the Maryland wig. Did you acquire that one for the Maryland? Did you already have it? I acquired it for the Maryland. I knew it had to be the yellow hair. I mean, I have like dirty blonde hair, but that just, it had to be yellow for Maryland. That's just, I think the color palette is just something that's so notable in pop art. So this is yellow number two. I think I I got maybe six uses out of it, which is more than I would have thought. And they all are pop art, but (laughs) I tried to reuse it as many times as possible. And I I still try and find yellow hair, but no such luck. That is funny where the hair can kind of limit you to a certain genre, specifically with how much this one pops. I do want to ask you the dot look. Would you have tried to do that? Would you try to hold like a dot screen in front of your face or would you have tried to do that with makeup? People do this look for Halloween. I would have had, I think, just use like eyeliner or something, which has a fine point tip and just did dots on my face. I think that would have just, if I were to go there, which I don't think I will, I think you just have to draw the dots yourself. Or some people maybe like would get like a stencil or something and do like some airbrush makeup. 
that might be easier. So this was yet again, a, a little bit more of a simpler build. So let's go into the history now. I have no idea who Roy Lichtenstein is. I think he's someone who, even if you don't know his name, you would probably recognize some of his more famous works of art. So his dates were 1923 to 1997, born in New York, died in New York. So he was someone growing up in New York. He was always exposed to the arts, to museums. He was a musician as well. He studied painting right away and drawing. He went to Ohio State. He was studying art, but then he was drafted in 1943, sent to Europe in 45. But while he was there, he continued sketching and decided he wanted to enroll in classes at the Sorbonne, which still exists, but it's kind of one of those schools that is very well known for its arts programs. And it's, I think it's one of the first universities ever, actually. So he enrolled there and started going to school, but then he had to come back to New York because his father was dying. And so he came back to the U.S. and went back to Ohio State to finish his BFA. He spent many years as a teacher. It's funny, a lot of famous artists were actually also teachers. So I find that intersection very interesting. So in the 40s and 50s, he was always kind of inspired by pre-existing printed images. But it was in the 60s when this was made, when he was really into kind of appropriating or transforming commercial art into something of his own. And, you know, at the time, commercial art, like things used for ads, etc., was kind of like despised by the art world. But he loved those images. He really was also drawn to comic style art. So he would combine cartoonish characters with abstract backgrounds. But then that wasn't working for him. So that's where we get the bende dots. They're called bende dots. It's kind of like a pattern that's used in commercial engraving. And I think if you look at old newspapers and images, you'll like see probably some of those dots. So he used the dots in his art to kind of convey, like, this is where I get my inspiration from. And that became his, his trademark. The dots are still kind of associated with him and pop art. He is probably most well-known. He has a work of art. Popeye that he did in 61. It's in the Crystal Bridges Museum. Then at the National Gallery in DC, there is Look Mickey and it's Mickey and Donald. And Donald is saying, look, Mickey, I caught a big one. It has the comic look. They're like the, the speech bubbles, the very bright, like primary colors. And Mickey's laughing because the fish hook is on Donald's tail. So he caught himself. So it's one of those like tongue in cheek old cartoon style works. That was also 61. And then in 63, he did Drowning Girl, which we can see at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And that has this woman with bluish hair and she has water all around her. And I think it says something like, I would rather drown than call Brad for help. Something like that. I have it. I don't care. I'd rather sink and call Brad for help. So that was made two years before Girl with Hair Ribbon. There are several paintings that kind of fall in that jilted women or soap opera-ish type of speech bubbles with scorned women, sad women, crying women. So I think Girl with Hair Ribbon follows that pattern to an extent. There's no speech bubble, but she does look sad to me. And perhaps I was projecting, but she looks heartbroken to me. And based on some of his other works, kind of fits in with that. So he has just been exploring this kind of comic book style, whether through traditional characters that are well-known, like Mickey or Popeye, 
or through these just dramatic kind of romances. That's what he's working on in the 60s. And his first solo exhibition of these style of works happened in 62. And the show sold out and kind of made him notorious. So by the time he painted the one I was recreating here, he was very well known in a household name. And just as a side note, the Tokyo MOCA or Museum of Contemporary Art in Tokyo purchased this for six million. His works are worth millions now. So he was very successful in the 60s and he created more than 5,000 paintings, prints, drawings, sculptures, murals, and other objects. So while he primarily worked on paintings, he experimented with all sorts of media. Along with Andy Warhol, one of the most well-known figures in modern art and especially pop art. They're kind of the two names people associate with pop art. Are there other things sort of pop art that you suggest people check out or other other Lichtensteins you think you can think of off the top of your head where people should go? I think like definitely see The Drowning Girl in MoMA. If you're up there in New York, it's one of his most famous works. I love the blue hair. It's basically all black and white with the skin tone in it is so faint. It almost looks gray. So the, the blue of the hair, I just... I love that. And Hey Mickey, or Look Mickey, I'm sorry. Look Mickey, I've hooked a big one is what it says. So it's Look Mickey. I don't know. I keep thinking it's Hey Mickey, even though I've seen this painting a million times. And by the way, the only endorsement I need for pop art is that children love it. And, you know, it's it's great when you walk by and students recognize Mickey and Donald and they just want to stop and look at it. The only endorsement I need. So Look Mickey is at the National Gallery, which another fun aspect of it. It's a large painting. A lot of these are very large. There's something about the oversized nature of them, which is completely opposite from, you know, comic book art, or I guess would be graphic novels now. are such small frames. So to see this style in such like a massive size, I just like that reversal. It's cool to see them such large canvases in this style with the bright primary colors. Yeah, Crystal Bridges is an amazing museum that I've never been able to go to. But if you're down south, you should go and see Popeye. One of his original kind of got it started early 60s has just punched someone out. And you see the stars and his big guns. It's just pure Popeye. It's excellent. I looked it up. Girl with hair ribbon is four feet by four feet. So that's definitely a thing where seeing it in person I have to imagine is such an experience. Seeing these in particular, like face-to-face has got to be such a big thing. That's something that used to really trip me up in art history. It all depends on what professor you had. The professor I had for survey, which is survey classes, kind of all of art history since the dawn of time. And there's survey one and survey two. And this particular teacher for our exams wanted us to remember dimensions. And that was something that was so, so hard to memorize if you've never seen something in person. It's easier to memorize a ballpark if you've seen it in person. And it's just wild seeing things in person. For example, the Mona Lisa is so small, really hard to see. You almost have a better viewing experience not seeing it in person because you can zoom in on the high-rise images. But then you see something like this that you would think, oh, that looks like it could fit on a magazine page when really it's almost human-sized larger than life. Like her face is four feet tall. It's amazing. Scale to me is so interesting with art. Are you ready to try to get stumped? Yes. All right. So this is, I'm going to try and be really, really unfair. (laughs) What else is new? So close all your browsers. (laughs) In 1996, the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. 
was donated works from Liechtenstein. How many prints were donated to the National Gallery of Art? What? Wow. Um, <laughs> oh, man. That's hard to say. I will guess 75. The National Gallery of Arts became the single largest repository of Liechtenstein's art when they were donated 154 prints and two books. Rats. That's that's a lot of paintings. <laughs> collection at the gallery is amazing. Most of it is not on view because when works of art are on paper, they need to be preserved at all times in low light, in special drawers. So the Prince collection is super extensive. You know, with Prince, you always you should always estimate higher than you think. I've learned my lesson. What defines a print? Basically, if, if you were to think something like on paper. So printmaking is a form of art. And so, you know, Marilyn with Andy Warhol, that was technically, that's a print. Sometimes it does involve painting. Printing, it could be made from, you know, there's woodblock printing where you're carving into something, adding ink to it and transferring the image. There's all different types of prints. It could mean a copy. So like, here's the painting and here's a print of it. But traditionally, when we think print, we think printmaking, like the, the art form of printmaking. There are so many different types of printmaking out there. That's something I would urge people to look into if you're curious about an art rabbit hole. <laughs> printmaking is very cool. Several different types of art within just that one genre. All right. So I feel like I've learned a ton. Do you want to do a teaser for next week? Looks like yes. you're technically, this could be your first all natural. Depends on how you feel about your first post. Okay. So this, and we're still in the rotation. So the last time I didn't have a wig, I was wearing a hat. This also is something that doesn't require a wig. And this is probably the one I've posted that does look the most like me in real life. So this is one that involved finding the right type of sheer fabric. But this is funny. This is another one of those cases where I had exactly what I needed, but I didn't remember I had it until after I had taken a few photos with the other thing. Oh, this is exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing about the saga that we're going to go on to Trial next week. Trial and error. <laughs> That is the lesson. All righty. Well, thank you so much. That is uh, the eighth episode of Porch Personas. Catch you next week, Emily. Thanks.